with me? Anybody ever had a real need? Hold on a sec, hold on. You're getting ahead of me. My wife's already saying, yeah, 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 she does. Uh, you've had a need and somebody come and ask, came and asked you, are you doing okay? And you just absolutely lied to them. Yeah, I'm doing fine. Or somebody might say, do you need something? And because of your pride, you say, yeah, I'm fine. I don't need anything. Now's not the time to do that. Somebody say amen. We're going to pray to a real and living God. Listen, it's, it's, it's not an exercise in futility. It's not something that we do to make ourselves feel better. God is real and he hears us when we pray. Amen. And we're going to pray in the name above all other names, the name of Jesus. And we're going to ask him today. And we're going to ask that the word minister to us today. How about that? Amen. Father, we come this morning. And it's not about me because this is your church. These are your people. It's not about my insecurities. It's not about my pride today. It's not about my past. Not about any of those things. Lord, today is all about you and what you want to do in our hearts and lives. And every person in here has some type of need. Financial, emotional, physical. They all differ. But you're one God who can meet the need of every individual in this place. And so we call upon the name of Jesus the name above all other names. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you come and intervene on our behalf as we lift our hands and lift our hearts to you today that in this time of consecration of your word, Lord, that will open our mind and heart and that you will move upon us today. And I thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Now I've got to forewarn you. First service... I don't know what it is about 9 o'clock. Some, serve, some days they are really into it, and there are some Sundays they have not had their coffee. There should be no excuse because this is the 11 o'clock service. You guys have already had five cups of coffee by now. Uh, if you don't, you know, we're going to start serving Mountain Dew out in the hallway before you come in. But Valentine's is coming up, and I know every couple needs a little bit of help, and most especially help with communication. Uh, because men speak a different language. <laughs> Shelly and I this week celebrated 38 years of marriage. And I'll tell you, she will tell you, after 38 years, she still hasn't cracked the code. So I'm going to try to help some of you ladies today with this man code, a lexicon of what we really mean when we say things, because sometimes you're not getting what we're saying. Like when a guy says it's a guy thing, that means nothing. In fact, in fact, you can't make it logical. When he says it's a guy's thing, he's just telling you something because he doesn't know what it means. When a guy comes to you and he says, can I help you with dinner? You need to understand what that means. Why isn't it already on the table? Another thing that means absolutely nothing when a guy says, uh-huh, sure, honey, or yes, dear. That means absolutely nothing. It's just a conditioned response that we give. If a guy ever says it takes too long to explain, he's telling you he has no idea how something works. I love this one. When, when a guy says, you know how bad my memory is? A guy can remember the theme song to F Troop, the address of his first girl he ever kissed, and the VIN vehicle identification number of every car he's ever owned. But unfortunately, he can forget your birthday. When a guy says, hey, I've got reasons for what I'm doing. Translated, I'm sure I will think of some pretty soon. When a man says, I can't find it. Oh, boy. My wife, she knows this one. She already learned this one. If a man says he can't find it, it means it didn't fall into my outstretched hands because I'm completely <laughs> clueless. Amen. 
When you're getting to grow, go someplace and your husband says you look terrific, you know it's really not a compliment. What he's saying is if you try on one more outfit, I'm dying here. <laughs> and lastly, this is the truth. When a man says we share the housework, you know what that means? It means I make the messes and she cleans them up. She knows that one. That's true. So we've been talking about being blessed and highly favored. How many of you want to be blessed and highly favored? I started this new year, like many of you, reading through the word in a year. And we're in the, we're, we were in the book of Genesis for a long time. And as we're in the book of Genesis and we're going through the life of David, I mean Joseph. I've, heard, I've read about Joseph most all of my life. And I'm reading about Joseph and some things are coming, becoming real to me, real in my life, real about me, because I'm looking at this young man in 13 years of preparation become the prime minister of Egypt. And what we understand as we look at Joseph is that being blessed and highly favored is a way of life led by wisdom. It's a way of life. But unfortunately, what many of us get, and it's contagious, we get destination disease, and there's not a mask that can keep you from getting it. Let me explain what destination disease is. Uh, I've got a friend, his name is Jimmy Williams, and he's been a friend of mine for, oh, a long time, going on 30 years. Uh, he is my friend and my golf teacher and my helper, and uh, he's very facetious uh, and very sarcastic, and I like that. I didn't like it because he taught Abigail golf for, oh, five, six years. And so she would pick up some of his mannerisms and things that he would say. I said, that's very Jimmy of you to say that today. <laughs> and so one day we're on the course and I'm having a really bad day. Uh, and I'm getting nowhere near the pin. How many of you know a little bit about golf? Golf has these flags, it has a hole, you're supposed to hit the ball in the hole, and I'm getting nowhere close to it, uh, and nowhere near par. And I'm on one of the holes, and he says, you've got destination disease. I said, destination disease? I said, my swing is okay. He said, your swing is fine. There's nothing wrong with your swing. He said, you've just got destination disease. I said, what in the world is destination disease? He said, okay, tell me where the hole is. I said, it's right there. He said, is that where you want it to go? I said, yes. He said, well, you're missing one missing ingredient. Where's the ball? I said, it's on the ground. He said, you're getting way ahead of yourself because you're looking at your destination instead of looking where you should be looking. And I kind of followed it away because I thought, that'll preach. <laughs> because there are a lot of people who have destination disease. Let's define it today. Destination disease is when people are so fed up with their past, they ignore their present. And these people are always looking for something ahead of them. And so... We understand that in order to have wisdom, we need to live in the now with wisdom and be blessed in the now. And if anyone would have a good excuse for having destination disease, it would be this guy, Joseph. I mean, you get the picture. His brothers so hate him. I mean, the word of God says they so hated him that they intended to kill him. That was their purpose. They, they were going to throw him into a hole and kill him. And then come up with a good excuse and tell their dad that an animal had destroyed him. And then Reuben steps in and he says, let's not kill the boy. Look, here's, here's some traders coming. Let's sell him into slavery. And so they sell their brother into slavery. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you think you might be some kind of affected, psychologically, emotionally affected if your brother so sold you into slavery? Let's put it in vernacular we all understand. You would be messed up. He's sold into slavery. He goes to Egypt. Potiphar buys him. He is the captain of the guard for all of Pharaoh, 
For everything that Pharaoh does, he's the captain of the guard. But Joseph becomes a slave. And after he becomes a slave, he's a man trying to do the right thing for the right reasons. God blesses Potiphar's house. But Potiphar's wife has got the hots for Joseph because he's a good-looking guy. And so she tries to have sex with Joseph, and he turns her down. Boy, a woman scorned. How many know that's a true scripture? She's scorned, and before long, she's hollering rape. And she accuses, falsely accuses Joseph of rape. He's innocent, and he goes to prison. Innocent. Now listen, he's going to spend 13 years of his life. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you went to college in your 20s? Can I see your hands? How many of you got married in your 20s? Shelly can't say that because she got married before she was 20. We were young pups. That's a whole different, that's a whole different sermon. I'm going to preach that one day. What we've learned in marriage. That'll be an interesting sermon. So he goes to prison for 13 years of his life. The best years, what we consider to be the best years of his life, he goes to prison. And there he is for 13 years bound up. But some amazing things happen in those times. Let's look at that. You ready? In fact, let me make this point before we go there. Life circumstances don't determine being blessed and highly favored. God's wisdom determines being blessed and highly favored. Joseph becomes a slave in Genesis 39.1. says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. So look at that. He what? How many of you are reading it with me? He what? How many of you can read? And I'm like Jimmy here. <laughs> Follow along with me on the screen. So he succeeded. succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. So he's a slave and he's succeeding as a slave. So then he gets accused, falsely accused of rape, goes to prison. Genesis 39, 19. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to Okay. Here, here's a crazy part of this whole passage and story. That the conditions didn't determine whether Joseph was blessed and highly favored. In fact, he was blessed and highly favored as a slave in Potiphar's house. And look at this. He's blessed and highly favored as a prisoner. You know, you understand something. Most of us get destination disease and say, well, when I get here, I'm going to be blessed and highly favored. When I retire, I'm going to be blessed and highly favored. When I can have these friends, I'm going to be blessed and highly favored. And it's not the conditions that make you blessed and highly favored. Then in Genesis 41, something amazing happens. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And in so doing, in Genesis 41, 37, it says, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of these dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. Being blessed and highly favored is all about wisdom and avoiding this destination disease. 
So how do we do that? Number one is we have to be aware and not overwhelmed by the past. Now, I've got to make this clear because you understand. Some people say, well, you need to bury your past. But you understand something. If you're not aware of your past, you're going to repeat it. And so you can't just bury your past and say, well, let's just forget about it. No, you don't forget about it because you know what? There were a lot of stupid things you did back there. Somebody say amen. amen. Every time you get your credit card to make a purchase that you shouldn't do, you should remember. That 23%. Somebody say amen. amen. That you're paying on for the rest of your life. Paying the minimum balance. But pastor, it's affordable. I'm only paying $49.95 a month for the rest of your life. They got you, brother. You're a slave like Joseph. Somebody say amen. amen. See, we need to be aware of our past. But number two is we need to live focused and blessed in the present. Amen. Because all too often there are so many people, they're waiting for that right moment that they believe they're going to be blessed and highly favored. And what they don't understand is God is right here in the present. And God has a plan for you right where you're at. You don't have to wait till you go to Africa. You don't have to wait till, and I love this one. You don't have to wait for the church to establish the right ministry for you to get involved. That, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. That's one of my pet peeves. People say, well, pastor, if you would establish a homeless ministry, then we would go take care of the homeless. Man, it sounds like God called you to do that. Why are you waiting for somebody else to do what you're supposed to be doing? Someone, come on now. Well, pastor, we just need your backing. I'll, I'll give you money and we'll do whatever. Go and be blessed. See, most of the New Testament letters are written to people that are both slaves and disenfranchised. So it wasn't about circumstances. And we find ourselves waiting for that perfect circumstance where I can do something for God. Can I tell you something? Quit waiting. It doesn't matter if you're a slave, a prisoner, or the prime minister. God is right here in the now. Somebody say amen. amen. Lastly, you have to have hope looking forward to the future. Because hope facilitates faith. Hebrews 11 one says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for is the evidence of things we cannot see. And so what we have to convince ourselves today is of this one fact. We preach it, we talk about it, we put it on our refrigerator, but we really don't believe it. You know why? Because we don't want to believe it. And that is when Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that God causes everything. Everybody say everything. 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 That means, wait a minute. Was God in the prison with Joseph? Was God in Potiphar's house with Joseph? Yes. Hold on just a second. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Joseph never would have become prime minister of Egypt had he not been a slave and prisoner first. It's not happening. But we fight that. Let me talk to you about the destination disease is a blessing because people say, Pastor, I'm just waiting for God to bless me. And when God blesses me, then I'm going to be a blessing to others. And you're not understanding. God wants you to be a blessing right where you're at. Somebody say amen. amen. See, God is always using our present to determine our future. God is always using our present to determine our future. So we begin talking about this. There's one key thing that Pharaoh says, there's nobody like you. There's nobody wise like you, Joseph. And we have a real misunderstanding about what wisdom is. Because some of you have been praying for wisdom and you think that wisdom is the knowledge to change your situation. 
God, give me wisdom. That means if you'll give me the know-how to get out of where I'm at, I'll get out of it. But that's not what wisdom is. Wisdom is more about clarity and perspective than knowledge. I'm going to explain this, so stay with me. Clarity and perspective is getting our eyes off of ourselves and on God's plan in the present. Wisdom enlightens new opportunities. So, Friday. Not every day is like this. I do my Bible study every morning. Those of you know, Monday through Friday on Facebook, I do, I do devotion every morning. I get up and pray, read the word, do a devotion, do my personal study. Friday mornings, I do a Bible study at my, at the, where I play golf and I have some guys there. And so it's Friday morning, I'm getting up. And in the midst of all these things happening, God speaks clearly to me. Now, my wife gave me an underhanded compliment last night. We've been married 30 years, 38 years. I can remember a lot of things. I can't remember how long we've been married. 38 years. And, and she said this. She said, you get up and preach some Sunday mornings, and I'm just amazed at the revelation you have. (laughs) Now, it's a compliment, but what she's saying is, I know you, and that ain't you, brother. (laughs) And I made it clear to her. I said, it's not me. I mean, I'll tell you straight up. Most everything I get, it all comes from God. But how does that happen? I make time to hear from God. So I'm I'm thinking about wisdom and wisdom, listen to me. Wisdom is clarity and perspective. It's an enlightenment that comes. In 2012 or 13, we, we were talking about this morning, Pastor Shelley had a stroke. Uh, She has no lingering effects today. She takes no medication because she had a stroke, but she had a major stroke. Happened right before my eyes. I'm walking through the bathroom when she's having a stroke. When the right side of her face went absolutely limp um, and she couldn't speak, I, I immediately picked her up, laid her in the bed, gave her an aspirin. We called the ambulance. It was scary. All the kids were there. I mean, it was right before New Year's Day. A lot of stuff had happened in this house we had in Laporte. And so we were really praying. I said, God, you know, we, we need a little getaway. And if you'll allow us, and, and we can. I mean, there were other things involved with the house we had. We loved the house, but it was a really rad, bad investment on our part. Uh, and there wasn't going to be any equity when it all, it was all said. And so I said, God, if you'll allow us, you know, we're, we're going to look for a house. And we're going to look for a house here where these trees are. And Shelly can walk. And, and so... We bought this house, and we got an incredible deal. I tell people all the time, my neighbors were mad at me for years because of home values. I mean, we, we got a deal of deals. The guy that has sold houses in that neighborhood for since it's opened up, this real estate agent, first time in the history, it's never happened since, that we bought the house, and when they did, did the evaluation of the house, it came in under the evaluation. Not only did we get the, at a good price, uh, then to add insult to injury on top of him, we got it below. And he was mad. He said, I've never had this happen. And so we bought the house crazy enough. We bought the house and we immediately put some work into it, redid the floors, painted, just simple things. Uh, one of the reasons it wouldn't sell is because it was built long ago. And I mean, every wall in it was white and it had white tile throughout the whole place. So people would walk in, nobody wanted to buy it. So we just came, put new floor and paint on the wall. And he walked in the day after we're about to move in. And he says, I'll tell you what, I can sell this house today for $50,000 more than what you bought it right now. I said, no, sir. We're supposed to live here. Now, I've got to tell you, here's the key. And this is where we get messed up. So I've always thought that house is my blessing. 
In other words, it's kind of like our retreat center. We go there, and I thought it was all about me. And so Friday morning, I'm going to read you a scripture out of Colossians chapter 4 in just a moment. And it talks about people in the world and using wisdom as we minister to them. In fact, let's go ahead and read it. I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead here so we can get to that that passage, and then I'll back up from there. Colossians 4.2. It says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind. That means with a focused mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. And then the Apostle Paul talks about his situation. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. He's not asking to get out of chains here. He's asking for wisdom and opportunity while he's in chains. And so verse 5 applies to everybody who's a Christian here today. It says, live wisely. And in other words, live with wisdom among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So I'm reading this and I've written my lesson for the day and I'm going to buy kolaches for it and as I'm in the car, God speaks to me. And he says, how can you have an opportunity if you don't pray for those people? You have neighbors that I put you among and I didn't put you there for just to be a blessing for you. I put you there to be a blessing. See, God didn't put you at a place just to bless you. God put you there at a place to be a blessing. And he said, you'll never have the opportunities if you're not praying for your neighbors by name. You You need to write your neighbor's names down and you need to pray over them every day. Because as you pray over your neighbors, you'll see the opportunities. And you understand something? That's wisdom. Because we think, well, I'll see the opportunity. You know, without wisdom, you'll never see a God opportunity. Because it illuminates the perspective. So when James says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if you lack wisdom, you can ask God and God will give you wisdom. Wisdom is clarity a vision and understanding of things that you couldn't see without God. So now I'm asking God, God give me wisdom because I want my neighbors to be blessed. What happens if you want it to be your blessing? Oh boy. I got to get down here for this one because we all, we all going to get this on this. When it becomes our blessing... Our neighbors become a distraction. Because when they mess with our blessing, we don't like them. We don't want to talk to them. We don't want to have anything to do with them. And we think, you're really messing with my deal here. And for the most part, here's, here's the American culture as we know it. We don't want to know our neighbors. Now, let me, let me make this clear from Joseph. Your neighborhood may be your prison, so you better get used to it and start ministering to everybody around you. Somebody say amen. You may not be in little prison. You say, well, it feels like hell because of my neighbors. <laughs> well, Joseph was in jail. You're not in jail. And God has called you to be a blessing. Somebody say amen. God intends to bless us so that we can bless others. And so what happened to (laughs) Jacob dies. Those 11 other brothers know they're in big trouble. Well, 10 of them do. Benjamin is okay because he's blood. But there are 10 brothers that say after dad is gone... Joseph's going to come and get us. And so they said, let's go talk to him. 
And they do, and here's his response in Genesis 50, 19. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for, look at that, intended it all for what? Wait, wait a minute. God intended the slavery for good? Wait a minute. God intended the slavery for good? God intended the prison for good? 13 years, God intended good? Missed the best years of his life? No prom, no girlfriends? Come on now. No college experience? But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. (laughs) No, (laughs) don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Now you understand that's wisdom. Because wisdom has the ability to see the big picture. Where other people can't see the big picture, wisdom has the ability to see the big picture. This was God all along. He was working in slavery. He was working in the prison. I wouldn't even be here today. And I can be a blessing because I know who God's called me to be. See, some of you are looking to get out of your job. Some of you are looking to get out of your marriage today. You don't need a new wife. You need a new perspective. Somebody say amen. Amen. Some of you don't need a new job. You need to understand God's called you to the place that you're at. You need to quit complaining about it, and you need to put your coworkers down and start praying for them. And say, okay, God, you're going to give me opportunity, and guess what? You begin praying for them, and God will open opportunities for you. I mean, suddenly you'll, people come up and start talking to you. Where, is Scooter here this morning? He's next door teaching. Some of you know Scooter, man. We love him. He's one of our mentors. One of the coolest, most spiritual guys I know in this church, man. Honestly. I mean, he's tatted from, I don't know where he's not tatted. And I'm not going to get that personal with him to find out. I mean, if you're, if you're going to judge people on appearance, don't come to this church. I mean, he's got gauges in his ears. He's tatted, and he works for Southwest Airlines. And when he, when he started working there, they called him the preacher man because he always brought his Bible. And he said, Pastor, people avoided me like the plague. He told me that last week. Because I was praying, and God gave me an idea. He said, I begin with a grease pencil writing scripture on my toolbox and he said and just writing that scripture on my toolbox people come up to me every day and say man I love that scripture he said it was just a simple idea it was a change it was wisdom that created opportunity and every day there's a new opportunity with someone I don't even have to go to them they come to me he said I just wrote the scripture out Every day I write a new scripture out and every day people come and say, man, I love that scripture. My mom used to pray that scripture over me. See, wisdom sees God's big picture. But wisdom is impossible without focused prayer. We talked about that. You have to have a focused alert mind. Focused prayer is praying for your neighbors, praying for your colleagues, praying for your friends and asking God for opportunities. We will never see God opportunities without prayer. And number three, wisdom is knowledge applied. It's not just knowing to do the right thing. It's applying knowledge and doing the right thing. James 3.13, this is a key scripture today. If you are wise and understand God's ways. So I'm asking you a question. Are you wise and understand God's ways? There's all kinds of things that we can complain about. Georgette was telling me, how many, how many people are in your building at work? 
80 people that are building at work. The, the tornado went right over the top of it. She said, we didn't know if we were going to live. How, how many of you know that tornado was a horrible thing? We can complain about it, but it's also a great opportunity. When you about died, it's a good time to talk about Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. Believe me, there's no bad time, but it's an even better time after you've just died. Or you about died. I mean, it's like the hurricane came over the top and said, you know where you're going to go if you were to die? Never thought about it till now. It's real. That's why funerals are real. I mean, everybody, we have a morbid way of doing things, I'm telling you. I mean, open casket, everybody's looking at the body while I'm trying to preach, just like. <laughs> I take advantage of it. You could be here and going to hell. <laughs> people freaking out. You know, scaring people ain't going to keep them out of hell. Somebody say amen. amen. It's the goodness of God that leads people to change. And it takes wisdom. It takes wisdom. See, wisdom is... Oh, wow. Can, can I go back and read that Colossians? Let me go back and read it. Verse 5, it says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. God is not into your First Amendment rights. He doesn't, dig it. he doesn't dig it at all. Just because you can say something doesn't mean you ought to say something. Somebody say amen. But we live in a world, and we've been, we've been made more bold through social media because we don't have to say it to people's face. So we just say the most hurtful, ugly things. I mean, we have a lady in our church. We, we were here yesterday, Rhonda. Her, she moved to a new neighborhood because she was taking care of her parents and her dad passed away not long after they were there. Had a lady come down the street, knocked on the door initially, was very nice, welcome to the neighborhood. And by the way, you're affecting everybody's home values because we have an HOA here. And you need to get this trash out. And by the way, your car's up for inspection. And I mean, just went on and on for about 30 minutes railing. Uh, and my flesh came out and I said, I would have moved all the trash in front of her house. <laughs> That's how evil I think. I mean, it's like, God help, God help. When I get up and say something from God, you say, boy, you ought to say, That's a miracle. She thought it was her job to keep everybody else in line. Can I tell you something? As a Christian, that's not your job. Amen. Your job is to take care of your business and understand God's called you to be where you are. Use, to, use wisdom where you are. The, the, let me read that again so you get the picture. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive, not offensive. So that you will have the right response for everyone. Here's the opportunity. And if you're not praying for the right opportunity, you're going to fail. Because the opportunity is going to come along and you won't use wisdom and you'll say something stupid. I mean, I, I have been there, done that. The pastor. I, I've got a neighbor. We love them. They've been there. I mean, he's not there a whole lot. They've got a house and they've got houses all over the world. Came to me not long ago, and I was in a hurry, had to get inside, something going on. Probably had to watch an NCIS rerun. <laughs> and he, he, he caught me. He said, hey, Alan, what's going on? I said, not a whole lot. I go in the house. And I'm thinking, man, I got to get in. And he said, I've got to go in and have cancer surgery. And I stopped. I said, Craig, man, I'm sorry. 
I said, I'll be praying for you. You know, I missed the opportunity because I could have stopped right then and prayed for him right then. No wisdom. You understand, I missed the opportunity because I had no wisdom. Because wisdom illuminates the opportunity. With wisdom, you would have stopped right then and said, no, Craig, let me pray for you. And if there's anything else that we can do to help you, you understand something. I'm not about building a church. I'm just like you. I want to be who God's called me to be everywhere I'm at. My purpose is not when I get up here and do something. My purpose is everywhere I'm at. Your purpose is not in church on Sunday mornings. Your purpose is at home. Your purpose is at your workplace. You understand your purpose is in prison. Your purpose is in slavery. Wherever you're at, your circumstance doesn't determine being blessed and highly favored. And some of you have been wondering for so long, I've been asking God to bless me and I don't know why he doesn't bless me. You know why? Because you want to spend all the blessing on yourself. Man, if you want to be blessed, start allocating the blessing even before you get it. Because the word of God says, God gives seed to the sower. Wait a minute. Did everybody catch what I just said? God gives seed to the what? What, what, what is the sower? He's a giver. People say, well, I really want to be blessed. If you want to be blessed, start giving your seed. Everywhere you go, give your seed. See, we'll never see God without opportunities, without prayer. Wisdom is knowledge applied. So I was reading James 3.13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. We're going to take communion this morning. So I'm going to ask a question before we even do that. How many of you here would like to have wisdom? Okay. People ask me all the time, Pastor, I really want to learn how to hear from God. How many of you would like to know how to hear from God? I'm going to teach you that in about two minutes. If you need communion, why don't you go ahead and raise your hand. Our ushers are going to... And this all comes into play. If you have your communion, hold it in your hand. And I want you to say one word with me, covenant. Because this is all about covenant today. God does nothing without covenant. Because of what Jesus did with his body and his blood... We now have a covenant relationship with God that we can be called his sons and daughters. But some people don't ever hear from God because they don't understand the basis or the foundation of hearing from God. The word of God says in James that God blesses the humble but rejects the proud. Isn't that amazing? And somehow when we come to church for a while, we forget. We say, I hadn't heard from God in a long time. And the reason we haven't heard from God is because we forget the foundation or the baseline of hearing from him. Because where we begin hearing from God is in conviction. And when we don't respond to God's conviction, we have difficulty hearing from him. See, if you're a person today and you're given to lust or you're given to greed or maybe you're a gossip or maybe you're mean and unkind and impatient. You understand something. If you're here today and you say it's all okay, you're going to walk out of this place and you're going to say, I didn't hear anything from God today. Because humility begins in our relationship with God with us saying I'm wrong. And you'll never be righteous until you can admit you're wrong. That's where it all begins. It begins no longer, no matter how long we've gone to church, it begins with that understanding that when we stand before God, 
we're wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong in sometimes how I treat my wife. I'm wrong in how I treat my kids. I'm wrong in so many different ways. And I begin to say, God, I am so sorry because I am so wrong in so many different areas. And it's amazing that when we humble ourselves, God begins to speak to us. As we respond to the first initiation, which is conviction. See, if you don't respond to the conviction of God, you'll never hear from God on any other level. And so, when the Apostle Paul writes, he writes about us partaking of this covenant. And he said, a man or a woman should examine themselves before they partake. Because partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner can bring harm upon our own body and the body of Christ. So this covenant God that wants to bless us and wants us to be blessed and highly favored everywhere we're at, in every circumstance, in prison, in slavery, no matter where we're at, no matter if we don't like it, he wants us to be blessed and he does covenant with us and he wants to give us wisdom But wisdom is no good if you can't hear from God. Because wisdom brings clarity and perspective. And so what we begin with today before we partake is we examine our heart. We close our eyes. Go ahead and close your eyes. And just listen to God. And he'll say, you know what, you've been really unkind. You've been really selfish and greedy. You made that blessing all about you. And we begin to hear from God and we have to come to that place of admission to say, I'm wrong. Lord, I'm wrong. Will you please forgive me my sins? I repent. I I don't want to be that way. I don't want to do that. Lord, come. Maybe today you're here and you're one of those people you've been hurt by people and you've so been hurt by people and let down and our circumstances have so gotten the, gotten the best of you, you don't like people anymore. And it's evident. I've heard, I've heard pastors tell me, I do what God wants me to do, but I don't like people. And I think, how's that possible? Lord, that's a sin. Because you're, it's your people that we're going to spend forever with you and with them Lord I just pray today help our heart we need your peace to permeate and so Lord we recognize the covenant that you've given to us and it's a good covenant it's a lasting covenant it's an eternal covenant it's a life changing covenant that changes our physical body it changes everything it's a great covenant I thank you, Jesus, that by your stripes we are healed. By your blood, Lord, we're redeemed and cleansed. I thank you, Lord, that as we come according to this covenant, that we can ask you for wisdom. And you can speak to us in clarity. And you can change our perspective. So, Lord, I pray today that as we partake, there were so many hands that went up and says, I I need wisdom. But Lord, we only get wisdom if you speak to us. We've started the foundation. We've humbled ourselves before you quietly. We've humbled ourselves. And now here we are in this place where we say, God, we want to be a blessing. We want to be like Joseph who never allowed slavery to determine who he was. Never allowed being a prisoner to determine the rest of his life. That when his moment came, before Pharaoh he was prepared God would you allow what's going on in our life to prepare us for all the big moments you have for us and there are big moments ahead so if you're a person here today and you say pastor I need to hear from God and I need wisdom if you'll raise your hand once again we're going to pray and we're going to protect together 
Lord, you see every hand and every heart, every mind. You know every person better than what we could ever know them. And Lord, I ask that you speak clearly as we partake today. It's your covenant. It's your body. It's your plan. And our life belongs to you today. Jesus, we bless you in, in, in partaking. Let's partake together. Now, you may say, Pastor, how do I know it's God? You recognize God because you know it's not you. As you're partaking today and you're just closing your eyes for a moment and you've asked God for wisdom, he'll speak to you. Just like he did about my neighbors, he'll speak to you. Pray, Father, that you speak right now. Just be clear. Let it be your plan your idea, your wisdom, your perspective. You've called us blessed and highly favored because of your son. Let us reflect that right where we're at. Amen. Stand with me today. I'm going to ask a question, and, and I, I believe this. How many of you, God, has already spoken to you some wisdom in your life? You've already heard it. You've already heard it. Wow. Okay. Huh. Don't lose it. Had a guy in first service, he said, i got to write it down. If you do whatever you have to do, put it on your phone, put a reminder. Don't lose what God gave you today. Amen? He's got a plan for you. He's going to bless people in your workplace, in your world because of you today. Make a difference. We love you. God loves you. Go with God today. You're dismissed.